You are listening to Hands at Work Audio. On Sunday, April 27, 2014, George Snayman spoke at Connect Church in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Thanks to Connect Church for the audio recording. God just stirred up our hearts. Um, it was the height of the AIDS pandemic. And um, thousands of young people were just dying. I, I come from an IT background. I lived my own life. I just wanted to be a nice person and a nice family man. And I was confronted with that. 3D life in my face as I met countless young ladies 17, 18 as I held them in my arms as they die um, shameful stigmatized death not just dying but dying in shame because AIDS was the leprosy of our season there were no medication available nothing and the church stood by and watched as it played out right across Africa. And the children left behind not just lost their parents, but they were just hauled into a dark hole of poverty and no hope and shame that their parents died of the disease you know it shook me so deep in my foundations as a white South African that I I could not be a Christian any longer and not do something I couldn't, I tried, I couldn't I could not go to church on a Sunday and be part of our building program and know some of those girls by name. And before I knew it, my wife and I and a couple of people just said, we're going to draw a line in the sand. We're not going to allow this to happen. We knew that this thing was a billion times bigger than we were. We knew we couldn't change Africa. But I had one thing in my heart. You see, the way Christ burst into my life, undeservedly, unexpectedly, the hope that he brought to me, that my children, my son Joshua, did not have to grow up in a broken home like I did. That hope that I had that I could change and grow and my pain that I carried as a young child into my adulthood could be healed. That hope that I found when, when, this, when this upside down crazy God burst into my life, that hope and what I experienced on the ground did not allow me to continue another day. I was either authentic or I was a fake. One thing I was not was brave. And I wasn't born and everybody looked and said, that man is going to go somewhere. 
nothing like that. But I had to look in the mirror and I had to ask myself one question. What is my life about? I mean, is it really about chasing the Joneses next to me? Try to match him and put a bigger pool into my house and buy a bigger car. Is that, is that, what, is that the ultimate for me? So we drew a line in the sand and we said as followers of Christ we're not going to turn our backs on this. It goes into the very face of what we believe. And so we just started. I was so illegal that if a corpse caught me they would have locked me up for life. I carried medicine bags this big and I didn't even know the difference between Panado and But we just flung ourselves into it and we reached out. We bathed, we washed and served the dying and every day we would bury people. On Friday afternoon we would start and we would go up to Sunday night. Many times I would go to my church which was about eight miles from where I worked. And I would find myself sitting in a church weeping and weeping and I don't know who I was weeping for. If I was weeping for the people that died this week and the children they left behind or if I was weeping for people as I looked around me and I thought, what in God's name is your life about? It became tough for me to go to church. I remember when I held the baby in my arms and the doctor that worked very closely with me, I took the child after she died and the doctor gave me a death certificate. Died of hunger. It was about 10 miles from the nearest church. You know when you die of hunger, your body eats your body. It was a child of 3 years old. How do I translate that? How do I contextualize that? I started wrestling. How come is it so tough for us to see injustice in our own generation? You know, I'm a white South African. I carried this stone, the size of the stage around my neck of what happened in my culture. I grew up in apartheid. I ate from the fruit of apartheid. And I was totally blinded to it. I said, how is it possible? I started studying the church history. I was horrified. I looked at the crusades. I looked at the inquisitions. I looked at what happened in the Second World War. And I said, is it possible that there was nobody that could speak out at the time when it happened? And are we different? In our generation, how will people look at us? What is happening in our 2014 global village right now? Well, I want to take a snapshot, if you'll allow me. This morning, there are a billion people, billion, that live under a dollar a day. 
I want us to stop and I, I want you to consider it with me. Under a dollar a day is less than $30 a month. You know who we talk about here? We talk about the breadwinners of families, fathers. I'll never forget one day when a man said to me, it's one thing for me to die of AIDS. It's a very painful death because you died of many diseases. But it's another thing for me to lie in my bed at night and to listen to my children crying of hunger. Those people who live on less than a dollar a day are using every minute of every day to fight for the next meal. They, they cannot think of sustainable plants. They cannot study further or plant food in a field to harvest. They don't have the energy, the time. They fight for now. They fight for the next meal. I slept in huts. I slept in huts of grandmothers of 18 orphans that she looks after. I say I slept. I couldn't sleep for longer than 20 minutes. People coughing, people coming, getting up, walking out. People are hungry, their stomachs are crying. Those people can't sleep at night. It's in your face every second of every day. You fight, you fight to survive, to get to the next meal. I've never met people in a world, and I come from a family where people work very, very hard. I've never met people that work harder than those people. If a mother wants to wash her children or just give them water to drink, it can take them up to four hours to get a bucket of water. And then that bucket of water is polluted, it's dirty. And they become sick and they're weak and they're underfed. And, and, and when they're weak, it's harder to find food and they eat less and it's, and it's just a spiral going down. They get so poor that even things for free cannot be accessed. I stayed in, in Zambia in a hut where we've built a school and where children can go to school for free. For free. And I lived with a grandmother and her children didn't go to school. And I asked her, Granny, why don't you send your children to our school? And, she, and we stood there and she looked up and she showed me a guava tree. You guys know what a guava tree is? A fruit tree with guavas. And she said to me, George, two months a year, this tree will bear fruit. And when the fruit falls to the ground, our children will have something to eat and it will give them enough strength to walk to the school that's for free. Otherwise, they can't get there. Over 20,000 children will die today because of hunger and preventable diseases. They are not just poor, they are powerless. Life 
have given them a curveball and there's no hope for them I know because I know them by name I stay in their villages I met Shadrach in a Congo just one morning I was just walking in a Congo in a village and I met Shadrach he was five years old he could barely walk both his parents died the one in charge of that house is a boy nine years old I carried Shadrach with me the whole day he was so swollen that I knew that he was very close to dying of hunger. Even though we had a feeding program in that area, Shadrick, it was about two kilometers, he could not get there. Shadrick was busy dying. His two brothers, older than him, nine and about six or seven, they were just fighting to survive. They've cut the losses of Shadrick, he had to go. You know, I found a woman, an elderly woman that day. And I told her the story and she said, she will make special porridge for Shadrach every day. And she'll try and get him back so that he can become strong enough to get to our feeding point. I left the Congo full of hope. Yes, I knew 20,000 kids was going to die that day. But maybe it can be 19,999. Shadrick didn't make it. We were too late. You know, even though I, I did whatever I could, I still feel I failed him. And it's not okay that Shadrach's like that die on our watch. One thing I've learned as a white South African who is judged by the whole world and rightly so. I've learned that we grow up in our culture and we've got blind spots. We refuse to see this. We justify it away. We live as if they don't exist. We build a safe system around us to make sure it doesn't get too close to home. When I was in Mulenga, the village that many of you are supporting, one of my most favorite guys, his name is Nkosi. Nkosi gave most of his adulthood as a man, serving children with no hope. Nkosi was just one amazing man. We call him a diamond in the dust. You know, after Nkosi have served for decades to these children, 
he himself had a stroke just before I got there. And they took him to a hospital. And because in course he didn't have money to pay, the hospital released him after two days. And they said, there's nothing we can do for him. And they sent him home. No medication, nothing. I found Nkosi lying on a bed. Well, it's not really a bed, but it's something like a bed. But you see, here's the thing. Here is the most amazing people living in the midst of that pain. We call them care workers. Many of them have got five, six and more orphans already in their huts. But they just seem to give and give and give. They just can't give up. Sometimes they make me so angry when I watch their lives. Because they expose me to the bone. One of those people is called Elizabeth. She's got a whole little mud hut full of orphans already. And yet when she heard about Nkosi that he was sick, she found an safe place for him, a little mud hut, a bed, blanket, and not just does she care for six children in her hut. She goes to a school and a feeding point every day where we care for children. But now she gets up an hour earlier every day and she goes and wash Nkosi. She dress him, she cleans him. You know, as a church in North America at the moment, we give average just 2% of our money to the poor part of the world. And out of this 2%, 5 cents out of every hundred dollars go outside our countries. It is like giving the extra chicken to the slaves at Christmas and then feel good about it. This year, the United States will spend 16 billion dollars on dog food. I really believe the body of Christ is disabled, almost mutilated. Some parts are so fat and obese, dripping with jewelry that it can barely stand up anymore while other parts of the body are now down to bare bones, diseases and pain. You will ask, why do I tell you this? It's depressing. But you know, I'm telling you this because I found hope in the midst of that pain. I found liberating hope and I want to share it to you. But I want to ask you, are you prepared to, this morning, look past your cultural colors and your glasses that's been given to you from when you were born and believe that maybe 
maybe everything you were taught were not right. I want to tell you and ask you, as I share with you about this Jesus, I want to ask you, do you know this Jesus? Many people know a Jesus. Many people even heard about Jesus. I want to ask you, do you know this Jesus? Because I want to say to you this morning, if you know this Jesus that I'm going to tell you about right now, you will understand it's impossible to follow him and not to make poverty personal. Personal. Yes, I've given you a global picture. Yes, you can't change all of that. But friends, if you and I know the real Jesus, it will become deeply personal to us. And when that Jesus confronts us with his true life, we can either turn away and walk away or embrace him. We cannot be indifferent anymore. Why did he come? Who is this guy? Why did he come? I want to quote him to you. This is what Jesus said. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to bring comfort to those who mourn. This morning, if you sit here and you are broken, and you are hurting, I want to tell you Jesus came for you. And he knows, he knows your name. And he's deeply, passionately personal about it. And he proved it to us in a way that he came. Eugene Peterson in a message say, the word became flesh and the flesh moved into our neighborhood. Jesus was born out of wedlock. Right from the beginning he was stigmatized. There was a shame over him. I want to tell you, it was not just that the inns and everything was full in Bethlehem. That's not how it was. There was no place for a pregnant teenage woman to have a baby. That's what it was. The shame that he was born in. As a young child, how he was hunted down, part of a a genocide. Jesus, at a very tender age, had to run for his life. He became a refugee in Africa. Jesus was a refugee in Africa. He knew the pain. He chose that life. His parents were so poor that they, when they took to the temple, they paid the sacrifice with a dove. Friends, there was no sacrifice like a dove. It was a special arrangement for the poorest people. That was his parents. He was discriminated against by the Romans, by his own people. He was 
tortured, he was falsely accused. His whole justice trial was a miscarriage. He was nailed against a tree in shame, cursed death. To this day, even some of his closest followers are betraying him, lying about him, manipulating him, abusing him. The man of sorrows, the man that chose to come for the marginalized and left alone. The man that chose to walk through Samaria where nobody else will go. You know that part in Saskatoon? Yes. And he went there. Let, let me try and put it in perspective. He, he, he held the stars in his hand. And he went like this. And he said, I know your names. That one, that one, walked through the no-go area to find a bad woman and to say, I know you. Because if you and my, me, were so messed up, so broken, so hurt, this powerful one that spoke and the universe was created. Somebody had to teach him how to tie his shoes. The creator of the universe. For you and for me. He made it very personal. He was in this beautiful community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, happy, perfectly happy. They saw pain, suffering. They saw you, my friend. And they said, we've got to do something. And they chose to rip that community open. Not because they needed us. We spelled trouble. But they sent him and said, go. And they hold him to us. Not only did he go, but he actually invited us back into his house, into his community. That's why he loves us to go. Because then we do exactly the same thing. He was also safe. He also had a good life. He also enjoyed it. He knows how tough it is. He sweated blood. He said, I, I don't know how to. But he did it. And if you and I get it, we will do it. And when we do it, things will change. I was in a village on the border of Zambia and Congo called Mzimba. I just went. I just went. I had nothing to offer. I didn't know what to do. But I was there. And I sat in a church. And I watched a little girl sitting on a cement floor. And she was playing with her friend. And an old man came. And he hit her like this on the shoulder. And he chased her out of the church. And I got up. And I walked out of the church. And I looked for 
And I found her behind a tree crying. Her name was Charity. I sat next to Charity. And friends, I sat with Jesus. I smelled him. I touched him. I could feel his heart beating. Man, he was there. And I saw the girl look behind me and there was her mum. She was only about this big. I could see she was sick. And I went up to her and she started telling me her story. Her, her husband died and she said to me, I've got HIV and the whole village is stigmatizing us. She's not even allowed to go into the church. She sent her daughter in hoping that they will accept her. The very day I was there, she was thrown out. And I picked charity up. <laughs> and I put it on my shoulders. And I could feel her fingers in my hair. I took her mother. And I held her tight. And we walked through the village. And I made a statement. That this is my family. Maybe you think, George, that is a wonderful story for charity and a mum. But you know what? To the truth, it was a much more wonderful story to me. The little I've done for them is nothing in comparison to what happened to me that day. Finding Jesus with charity. Friends, have you ever found that Jesus? We live in a globalized, consumer-driven culture where we've become so vulnerable to magic versus faith. The rich young ruler wanted to inherit eternal life the way he inherited his wealth you see it was never faith it was a magic formula he was looking for he was looking for a way to manipulate the spiritual laws so that he could get more for himself instead of laying his life down so that God could do something beautiful in him and other people. I'm always amazed how the poorest people are always the most generous people. I struggle with it to understand it. Is it possible that that is because our possessions possess us? So in hands at work, we have international volunteers that come and work with us all the time. Nobody gets paid. Brooke and Jed came to work with us. Americans. I love it when Americans come. They're amazing people. Once some stuff happens. 
en het happen piek met Broek. Broek en Jet. Great young couple, professionals. Just great. But you know what I said to them? For three years I worked with us. I said to them, you are going to become the servants of the African leaders. You're going to serve them. You're going to have to learn to bite your tongue. You do not have the answers. Even if you think you do, you don't. And if you wait long enough, you're going to discover that you don't. And when you discover it, your life is going to change forever. So she becomes, a, and, and Jake became servants of, of African leaders who, who got the first pair of shoes when they went to high school. And who barely finished high school. And they served them for three years. And they found that these people taught them things that no North American university can teach you. They taught them how to live by faith. They taught them how Jesus will never let you sink when you fall in the waves. They taught them that you can get out of the boat and you can walk in the waves because they saw it happen. They saw raw faith moving mountains. You know, they went back to North America after three years. Both got very good jobs. And they moved into the poorest area in their city. It is basically just a place for refugees. And they foster care the toughest children in their system. When I Skype them, they just can't tell me how happy they are. How incredible privilege it is for them. Because they got to know the real Jesus. And when they understood this, this is not something you have to think about. It happens. If you don't have this, this is when you give the chicken to the slave at Christmas time and you feel good about it. I've given you big numbers in the beginning. I've spoken about billions and thousands. I want to close with this. Charity. Shadrach. It's costing us $20 a month. simple dream we want to reach a hundred thousand Shadricks but we want to reach them in time we don't want to lose them there are 2.7 billion Christians in the world <laughs> we're looking for a hundred thousand people that can afford twenty dollars a month because they understand 
you are known by name. You are loved. You, the price was paid for you. You do not have to live in a broken life anymore. He has come for you and for me. And we can take that and we can bring that hope to others who this morning cannot believe that there can be hope. That's what it means to live life in abundance. Let's pray. Father, I Thank you that you made time for a for a white South African man. I thank you for my life, Lord. I want to have faith. I don't want to have a magic formula, Lord. I pray for everybody in Connect this morning that they will know the real Jesus and those who have got pain and hurt that they will be touched and healed and out of their wounds they will bring healing to others who have got wounds Amen Thank you for joining us www.handsatwork.org